welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, good morning, Jonathan. It's, I'm looking forward to talking with you. So, um, I know you from our church. You're a part of our mm-hmm. church congregation, and you're like in the engineering field, right? Right. I um, right now I'm kind of doing um, office estimating, but I spent about eight years building bridges here in St. Louis, and uh, built another one out in New York, um, a large multi-million dollar suspension bridges, uh, cable stay bridges out there um, and here. So that's that's kind of where my background is engineering wise yeah and did your work bring you to st louis it did actually i i grew up in uh i grew up in denver and out of college um i got a job with a company out of uh evansville indiana that did a lot of marine work okay um and they they sent me to st louis so um an engineer i guess an engineering type of personality is kind of more um mathematic technical stuff like that so what you would say yeah, um, a lot of my background was was in math and in applied science. Um, civil engineers tend to be a little weird um, because they've got a they, they've got one foot in kind of the white collar. I'm going to calculate this out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do the math, and I've got the science background in my head. And the other half is well, I'm gonna put on some car hearts and swing a hammer and not think about anything. So. Hmm. Um, they they t- they tend to straddle both worlds and have to d- to deal with the blue and the white collars at least in the construction field. Mm-hmm. Um, so they uh, it, it's a little more rounded than I'm a guy in the office with a pocket protector and glasses, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not less than that either. <laughs> so well, as far as introduction, how would you describe yourself as a person? Well, that's a that's a weird question. Um, I don't know. I think I, I think in one respect, um, I am kind of that that nerdy individual. Um, you know, I grew up playing uh, chess and D and D and magic and in high school, and mm-hmm. but I also have this other uh, piece that's um, you know I love the outdoors. I grew up in in Denver. We spent a whole lot of time up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. up there um uh I, I i tend to straddle a lot of little worlds and uh it's it's kind of hard to pin one and say oh this is this is who i am mm-hmm. um you know we uh, grew up uh grew up with a hearing impaired family so there's part of that in there we've i've traveled all the way all, all across the country so there's a little bit of midwest now there's a little bit of you know Mountain West, um, you know, my dad grew up from a, a long line of, you know, uh, moonshine runners and cable stealers as hillbillies, so there's there's some Southern culture in there as well. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a kind of like a quilt. It's every little piece that you can kind of sew onto it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are like that. Hmm. Um, and your family um, was hearing prepared, impaired, or you had members of uh, hearing impaired. So impaired. my. Um, both my parents were uh, were deaf at a young age. My my mom more so than my dad. Hmm. Um, my mom actually 
was born in Louisville and grew up here in, in the St. Louis area. Um, her family relocated because most of my aunts on that side, including my and my mom, are hearing impaired. Oh, wow. Um, so they they moved to St. Louis because there's a there was a good Catholic death school here. Hmm. Um, my dad grew up in uh, in North Carolina in the Appalachian Mountains. Um, uh, to uh, I mean my my grandmother we call her Nana raised two boys on her own. Um, one of them, I mean, she had every week she was, or every few weeks, she was driving up the mountain three hours to drop her son off at a boarding school. Um, so they, they kind of grew up in that environment. They met in college. Um, long story short, they moved out to Denver, had me and my brother. Uh, both of us are just fine. We can hear just fine. Um, but we grew up in that, that isolated environment where, um, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of deaf people around in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a large population here in St. Louis. There's yeah. Um, there's large populations scattered around the country, but in, in Denver, it was really just us. Um, so, do you know sign language? Uh, define no. Um, I know <laughs> I know how sign, um, which means that I can communicate with my parents. But um, if you put me in front of a uh, somebody to interpret live, I'm gonna be like that guy. What was it in? Uh, there was an interpreter in Zimbabwe who was caught just waving his hands and not actually <laughs> not actually signing anything. I'd be kind of like that, right? And um, I'd be I'd be waving my hands and mm-hmm. everybody would be going, what, "Who is this guy?" Like, <laughs> might be able to get maybe one one word out of a sentence, kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of those things. If you're not practicing it, it kind of kind of fades out. But but is that how you communicate with your mom and dad? My dad can can hear pretty well with his hearing aids on, so I can still talk okay. to him on the phone, and he kind of is the in between between me and my mom a okay. lot over the phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, waving my hands and and trying to point at things, and went to speech therapy for a few years, and you know, had the hardest time pronouncing fork. Um, yeah. When I was young, um, but uh, I, I guess that's a that's a I didn't even know the term until I moved uh, to St. Louis, but uh, there's a there's a whole term in the deaf community for children of deaf parents. It's hmm. called a coda. It's a, it's child of deaf adults. Okay. So um, it, it's kind of this weird. You're the hearing person in a non-hearing family, so you get to do all the hearing stuff. Yeah. Um, I still have anxiety on the phone um, because my mom used to. Well, I, I would come home from school and my mom would have a problem with like the insurance company, health insurance or something. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, put her seven-year-old son on the phone because she didn't want to talk mm-hmm. to the relay service because that was a pain and typing out everything on a TTY. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a seven-year-old kid trying to talk insurance with the insurance agent on one end and my mom angry at the other end at the insurance agent. And it's, mm-hmm. it was a, it was a f- interesting, I still have some PTSD about that, I guess a little bit, but so that was that was growing up, and then you 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 adjust to a a hearing world on the other side of things in high school and college and traveling around the country and and seeing the other half of it and bringing a lot of those experiences over. So I used to be a an incredibly loud individual. I was like, "Why are you yelling at me? I'm not I'm not yelling. I'm just talking. This is just how I normally talk." Mm-hmm. I don't think I've actually talked normally in in years. I'm whispering the whole time. Hmm. So, um, you're a part of the Christian faith now. Is it were your parents as well? My, yeah, my parents. Um, 
my mom grew up Roman Catholic. Okay. Um, so my mom's side of the family um, really didn't like it when she married a Southern Baptist. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I think they grew to understand that, that we weren't all awful as Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I grew up in a in a in a pretty God fearing home. Okay. Um, grew up in church. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we I've got the whole church culture thing down too. You know, I used to do the whole see you at the pole thing and and youth groups and lock ins and mm-hmm. um, you know didn't didn't listen to any secular music outside of my dad's southern rock for twenty years kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, but you know, grew up in public school too. So it, mm-hmm. again, I. Straddling, straddling a lot of fences uh, yeah. throughout the life, throughout my life. And then were you converted into, like, um, as a child, as far as, like, not just being religious, but it becoming your own, you know, um, becoming, um, you know, as, uh, I'm trying like, to avoid like, using church like, language. Like, <laughs> like making it your own, right? right? It's kind of like what we tell our kids is that at a certain point, you gotta, you gotta come off the faith that your parents have and, right. and either make it your own or, or you're going to do something else. Right. Um, no, like, uh, I, I don't remember specifics in terms of growing up. Like, you, so one of the things that's always bothered me is if you go to a church and they go, um, well, if you don't, if you don't remember when you were saved, you know. Do you really know that you're saved? Do you have a date? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have a date, right? I don't have a. This is my second birthday on the calendar, kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I, I remember having conversations with my dad when I was, you know, five, six, um, being aware of what sin is and who Jesus is and 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 what he's done. Um, but I don't think that really impacted me until I, I was out of the house. Um, I spent most of my college living with my parents because it's cheaper. Um, so I didn't really move out from my parents until I got a job out of college. Um, and um, when you're alone um, in the in you know nowhere Midwest, after living in the mountains and having stuff to do all the time, and you're sitting in your apartment thinking, you know, what what am I doing? And and you, you have a lot of time to think about your faith. Um, and I, though I, I will, I'd say that I was saved as a kid, right? There, there, there was the, the aspects of a childhood faith in that. I don't think I began to really live it out and understand it to the way I do now. Um, until shortly before I met my wife, um, there was a there was a bit of a of a loneliness and a depression that set in after college, um, and I think working through that, uh, I was able to rediscover the the aspects of the faith that I just don't think were taught very well when I was a kid. You know, God's sovereignty and um, God's purpose for salvation and 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 what He's the the extent of what sin is. Um, and really understanding that through my own experience kind of lit another fire under me. And, and that's when my faith became something less of my parents and more of my own. Um, think, think of it almost like a, like a personal reformation, in a sense, where mm-hmm. you, you know it and you have that faith, but it doesn't become a... Um, 
it, it, it grows legs and it starts to move in your own life. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So what moved you forward during that time? I mean, besides your circumstances, um, was there any influences, books, or anything that helped you out during that time? Um, I, I think it was a combination of a couple things. Um, one, I, uh, I mean, Facebook was still relatively new. I mean, Facebook came out with when we were in college, so I mean, it's you know four, five, six years old mm-hmm. at this point, maybe a little older. Uh, so I still had some college and high school friends on Facebook, and uh, I had one of my high school friends post that she was uh, she and the and the church I used to go to in Denver were reading through Platt's book Radical. Okay, I'm like, okay, I'm 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 a little spiritually worn out. I got to do something. Everybody I see is is reading and recommending this book. I guess I should probably read something um, instead of waiting for my next Netflix DVD because they used to come in the mail and <laughs> yeah. and and uh, and playing video games. So I, I picked up the book at a Barnes and Noble and I, I read through it in, in probably a day and a half. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was uh, that I think that was the start of the wake up call. Um, started to uh, go well. You know, if this book is good, what 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 else could I read, and what else could I get to? Um, so, started looking online for for you know uh, online church services. Um, uh, a lot of um, Driscoll before he went, we realized he was he was angry and crazy. Uh, a lot of um, uh, not Platt, uh, Chandler. Uh, watched a lot of his stuff. Uh, one of the things I really, one of the guys I really like to read is uh, I like Piper, but I, I really like Lewis's works and reading a lot of Lewis's works. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had a, a love for uh, fantasy and story, and Narnia <laughs> has always kind of been in the back of my mind. Read those as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of has the same logical whimsy almost in a lot of his other writing. Um, that that really yeah. gravitated I really gravitated towards that um, and so I, I, I basically started you know just buying books I had a lot of disposable income so I'm like well let's go to the bookstore and buy a book and yeah. read halfway through and be like okay I want to get another one and read that one halfway through and so I was bouncing through like five or six books um, at the time and um, Piper's Desiring God was a really uh, good book as well it kind of turned it from well, Christianity is this this list of things that you have to do in order to please God, or God is pleased with you when you do these things, as opposed to God wants you to be delighted in Him, and God yeah. wants you to find His find His glory and your delight in Him, and that was a new concept to me. Yeah, in terms of how He spelled it out, I there's a sense that you a lot of the stuff that you you I've learned I already knew in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't a good way to articulate it and 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 package it in your mind so mm-hmm. that oh I can explain that now and I can understand that I've heard it in a piece of a sermon that so and so did three or four years ago and it's always bounced around the back of my mind but it's never been something I can articulate and say yeah this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and a lot of it was was that right and building that out yeah the whole idea of enjoying God really made an impression on me when I. I think it was through Desiring God book, Piper's book. Mm-hmm. 
Because I mean, we understand enjoyment. We can get, oh yeah, I enjoy, you know, turning on a, a football game and watching that, or you know, I enjoy yeah. drinking coffee, or and and I making that connection between what we're doing and how we're experiencing God and enjoying Him. We don't make that connection a whole lot, especially as kids, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I see this in my my youngest. We take him to church, but you know my preschooler isn't sitting there in in glorious rapture trying to listen to everything that the preacher says. He's like, "Can I go home? I'm hungry." Right? right. Um, I mean, my my middle schooler. He's. I mean, he 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 has a, a saving faith, but he's not itching to. Uh, he, he, I wouldn't say itching. Um, his his concept of fun is not listening to a lecture. Right. Um, it, it, the, the 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 childhood brain is just not wired that way. Um, they 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 deal with a lot of their learning through play. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so, a lot of kids they grow up with this idea that, well, either either church is boring, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it I. I go to church, we sing some songs, and this guy talks to me for an hour. That doesn't exactly scream fun to me. Yeah. Or, um, and, and so some of the responses, the evangelical church goes, well, let's make church fun for kids. Hmm. Um, and I think we can overdo that as well. Yeah. Um, but shifting back to, okay, now I understand that my faith should be fueled by a delight in what I'm worshiping was mm-hmm. a new concept to me. Um, taking that, I enjoy this, and I really do enjoy God, but I couldn't make that connection. And mm-hmm. finally making that connection opened up a whole new world of, oh, I'm not reading the the Bible in these books because I have to. I'm mm-hmm. doing it because I want to. And there's, there's a difference in that. Mm-hmm. So um, when it comes to enjoying God... Like, let's say um, we're going to eat some lunch, and this afternoon we're going to go out and spend the next three or four hours enjoying God. What would that look like? Would you have a different list of things on your list to do today, or would it be the same things but just going about it in a different way? Or, you know, what does it look like to enjoy God? I'll I'll put it into two buckets, all right? There is... um, there is enjoying God by intentionally focusing on Him, and I think that's that's what we do um, on our Sundays, on our Sabbaths. I think there's a place for intentionally setting your mind and heart towards Christ, um, and there's a there's a certain type of intentional enjoyment in that. It's like um, when I try to intentionally enjoy my kids. I'm going to take them out somewhere. We're going to go and have have fun somewhere with them. Uh, it's the same thing with our relationship with God. I'm going to intentionally focus on God and 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 do something enjoyable between us. Um, but I also think you can enjoy th- God through the things that you do on a daily basis, right? Um, there, there's uh, there's a quote by Chandler. Um, I, I'm going to paraphrase a little, but he says, "Sin is is," and he probably got stole it from somewhere else too. But sin is is the self bending it on the self, right? 
it's taking what's enjoyable to you and only getting um something for yourself out of it right it's it's you're doing it for your own um to focus only on yourself um whereas for the christian everything that we do rolls up to a greater enjoyment in god right so it's it's the self bending up it's the self bending towards christ so when i'm enjoying a hike out in the woods i'm not just enjoying it for myself i'm enjoying it because it rolls up into a greater enjoyment with god or if just for the thing in itself like um this food it's not just all about the food um but it's the giver and so right forth. it should it should point you towards something greater your yeah. enjoyment has a source and it's not just the thing itself right yeah um that's that's a huge revelation when you when you really think about it is um everything that everything good that God gives us in life whether it's family or enjoyment or safety or stability is all meant to point us to greater enjoyment, safety, stability in Christ. It's all a, a shadow of what he ultimately provides us. So I guess that's good um, to, I mean, that's something to come to terms with because all of these things, um, the food, the family, the comforts, it's all going to fall away. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's going to last. The, the, our very bodies themselves are going to waste away. And that's like, um, so if we're finding our life in these things themselves, it's like, well, it's only for a time. Mm-hmm. But if it they, ends, right? It's yeah. it's it's a it's a finite joy. It's, right. it's got a limit to it. Right. Yeah. You know, as soon as the movie's done, that's the limit of your enjoyment of it. And and so to go back to your question, like what do what does enjoying God look like? It looks like going through, I mean, for for six out of seven days of the week, right? It looks like going through your your day, but everything that brings you enjoyment rolls into a greater enjoyment in Christ, right? So when I wake up in the morning and my wife makes me coffee, I enjoy that coffee, but I also roll that up into a greater enjoyment of God gave me my wife who made me coffee, who enjoys me. Mm-hmm. And it, it it builds upon itself in a way that I don't think would build upon itself if I didn't know Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can uh, theoretically relate to all of that. And there are times, of course, when enjoying something and I just acknowledge God in it and so forth. But um, there are times also when whatever is taken away from me, like some comfort, like, uh, you know, uh, an example might be just being sick, just feverish or whatever. And uh, just so like that bodily health is being taken from me for a time. And and so what comes to my mind sometimes is like, I'm not prepared for this if this wasn't just a temporary thing. Mm. It's um, it's like I wish there was some spiritual connection that was so strong that this could be taken from me and I would just, okay. <laughs> and, but, um, it, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like um, 
Uh, it feels kind of lonely sometimes. It's like I w- wish there w- was a connection with God that I felt during times of the removal of li- uh, comforts and mm-hmm. so forth, you know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to get the impression that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about enjoyment and I've got it all figured out, right? Because right. that's not the case at all, right? Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a song lyric that, that continually comes to my mind. Uh, from a group uh, who's, and, and basically it says, you know, what's revealed in the heart of having is, uh, what, what, what's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in, when you lose things, right? <laughs> so in, in a great many ways, God takes things away from us, again, for our joy and for his glory, but he takes things away from us to reveal to us something that's hidden, something <laughs> that we wouldn't see if that thing wasn't taken away from us. Right. Um, so maybe in the example of health, he takes away our health because we are we he wants us to realize that we're relying too much on our health in this life, and that there needs to be a dependency on Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, he might take away our financial stability to show us that that's a poor savior. That's a that's a poor place to put your hope and your desire and your and your want. Our security and our stability should be in Christ, mm-hmm. and that He gives us all that we need. Um, again, that's a way that we experience the God's joy, right? That he doesn't just work in the good things that happen in our lives. He continues to build up joy in him through the things that he takes away as well, mm-hmm. um, which is a, also an incredibly unique concept as opposed to, um, you know, what life is like without Christ. If something's taken away, it's it's gone. There's no other further joy to be found outside of that thing. And so, when that thing is gone, you're either striving to get that thing back, or you fall into a, a sense of depression, because you'll never get it back. This is why... Um, so many people I, I I have talked to in life, or they they seem stuck in a in a place in their past. Whether it's mm-hmm. high school were the best years of my life, or college were the best years of my life, and you know I can't I can't I'm, I'm getting older and I'm getting more depressed because I'm getting older, right? Mm-hmm. For the Christian, it's like no, my my joy is in Christ. It's in something outside of myself. I'm not. I, I I can look back and I can say I enjoyed high school and I enjoyed college and and I enjoyed those experiences, but I'm not holding on to those experiences as if those are the source of my joy. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting and I'm I'm working towards a greater joy that's going to happen in Christ. I don't have to live in the past and I don't have to live in what I've lost. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as like having a solid foundation so that we're better prepared for when things of life are taken from us, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, money, relationships, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more than just knowing things with the head, more than just knowing the Bible and so forth. I um, have been in Matthew lately, and there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where uh, Jesus talks about building a foundation, like he says, um, those who um, hear these words of mine and do them, it's like building on a rock, you know, and then when the rains come and so forth, 
that person's house will stand. Whereas if you just ignore his words, um, then it's like building on the sand. So that, to me, that reminds me a little bit of like some kind of foundation that's actually going to endure um, the loss of worldly comforts. But it seems to me like it it might come through um, maybe obedience because he says, you know, those who hear these words and do them. And basically, he's kind of like laying out the Christian life, including the Christian heart of trust, but um, trusting God so much that um, you're not holding on to sin, like you're not holding on to secret lust. You know, it's like it goes down to the heart. You're not holding on to anger. You're, um, it, it, it seems kind of like obedience and love, but not in an outward way. Um, well, anyway, it seems more experiential. I mean, it seems... So I'm wondering um, if if through um, obedience and experience that we we grow in this kind of foundation type of thing. Mm-hmm. It just seems... It's more than just, of course, there's, there's studying gotta, the Bible more. There's got to be action to what you believe. Yeah. Right? So James goes, you know, what is true religion? It's... It's taking care of widows and orphans, right? Yeah. Faith. He goes, faith without works is dead. I'm not saying that if you don't have, like, faith is... You, it's, he's not saying you need works to be saved. But if you have faith, it's going to come out in what you do. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's going to be reflective of the feet that you put towards what you believe, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we... We, we're in reform circles, right? You can you can get caught in this life of the mind, right? I know mm-hmm. all this stuff about God, mm-hmm. um, but it never comes out in what you do. Um, if you believe in God's sovereignty, uh, like this is, uh, I'll, I'll take an example from my own life. My dad was uh, was uh, battling lymphoma uh, beginning of last year when all the COVID stuff started coming out. Um and that was hard. That was hard on, on my family. That was hard on me. Um, you, you start to think about, okay, what, what happens if, if he doesn't recover from this? Um, by God's grace, he did. He's, he's doing fantastic. But um, you, you begin to have to wrestle with, okay, I know that God is sovereign. I know that God is in control of all things. That nothing comes about that isn't through his hands. Um, God's working on something here that I might not ever see. Um, I have to actually put feet on what I believe and lean in on that, or I'm going to be miserable. Um, and kind of the, the working out of that, God taking away something from you, and you actually have to do something towards putting your faith in action. And it's almost like completing your faith... Almost like, um, so works come from faith, and then does faith come from works? Like, not so much like, well... I think, I think faith is grown from works. Um, right, that's so, what I kind of want to mean. So let's, yeah. I'll, I'll take an engineering term. It's a, it's a positive feedback loop, right? Right. One feeds into the other, which feeds mm-hmm. back into the other, and it's this cyclical... Um, thing that doesn't end it just continues to grow it's Mm -hmm. it both of them feed on each other and now you have an explosive combination right so so god creates this engine in the christian life that keeps turning faith leads to more works which grows your faith which leads to more works that Mm -hmm. and 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 
that's the process of sanctification. It's learning about God, putting it into action, which makes you learn more about God, which puts it into action. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the book um, by David Platt, Radical, all about? It's been years since I read it, Okay, uh, to be honest. I, I think it's... I'll, I'll, the thing that grabbed me was, was, you know, I grew up in in the Christian church in, in a, in a, in a kind of like a paint by numbers Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you go to church cause it's the thing that you do and, mm-hmm. uh, you say the right things. Cause it's the thing that you do, but it, it comes back to what we were talking about. There was no legs to it. Right. There's, there's, there's nothing that, um, you are doing other than, well, these are the these are the things that a Christian is supposed is supposed to do, right? I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to do these things, as opposed to I'm a Christian and I want to do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to make God known, as opposed to I want to make God known, and there's there's a difference in that. Um, and I think that that's what struck me the most in that book. Okay. Um, really, I read it because my. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the pastor of my church at the time in Denver was one of Platt's uh, seminary professors, and he's mm-hmm. he's not referenced by name, but he's referenced in the book. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people on that I knew from high school is like, oh yeah, you know, Pastor So and So is is mentioned in the book. You should probably read this book. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll I'll read it too. So that that was another push, and it was in, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a small world. Um, and, and, and when you start to begin to see the connections of how God has worked in in your life and in the life of other people, it's kind of, it's it's interesting. It's like a different family tree. Yeah. You know, I noticed, so you like Lewis. I noticed, I just took a look at your Facebook profile. I noticed you have Till We Have Faces on there. Like, do you enjoy that book? It, I, it's It's been a while since I read that one, um, too. Um, I, I, I have a love of of uh fantasy and, and allegory I, yeah. I think there's a um so one of the things like when lewis was talking to, to tolkien about faith right one of the things that oh sorry other way when tolkien was talking to lewis about faith one of the things that that dragged him towards the christian faith was that it's the true myth right yeah that it's it, all, all the stories that we develop as as human beings all the myths that we have developed um, a lot of them find a more complete fulfillment in Christ, right? That, you know, the reason why we, we gravitate towards action movies and, and movies with the, the hero beats the bad guy, right? I think about all the Marvel films that are coming out. My, my oldest son loves superhero films, mm-hmm. right? And I keep telling him, Christ is better than that because he's the one that ultimately defeats our bad guy, right? He, he puts all of his enemies under his feet, the last one to be death. Like, you're gravitating towards these things and your heart resonates with these things because it wants to resonate with Christ. Um, you know, romance movies are so popular, right? Because ultimately our greatest love is Christ, Christ pursuing us and rescuing us in the same way that, you know, in a lot of those romance movies, you know, guy chases after girl and, and, and wins her heart kind of thing. It, 
there, there's an undertone that the gospel and what Christ has done for us is the greater overarching story in a lot of our other stories. Um, and I think fantasy wears that on its sleeve a little m- more than others. Um, I mean, uh, Narnia is complete allegory, mm-hmm. but you, you get bits and pieces of it in Tolkien's writings and, um, you know, I could see parallels with, uh, um, I used to read Redwall books and so mm-hmm. I read those to my kids and, and, um, there's, there's parallels in that, you know, uh, and you can, you can pull those out. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I got to get back to is reading fantasy novels and reading, reading stories to my kids. Um, I'm kind of saying, well, you know, you like this part. Here's a, here's that rolling up into a greater joy. This is how it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how stories captivate us so much. You know, I, I remember just as a, just a little kid, um, the librarian getting out a book and reading to a group of us kids. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was just on the edge of my seat. You know, she, she was good at reading. But just a story, um, you know, we're all captivated by it. It's in our songs, our movies. And well, I mean, everything. the first half of the Bible is all stories, whether you think about it, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's historical mm-hmm. stories, right? Yeah. God works in history because he knows that if he gives us a, you know, he didn't give us a systematic theology book, right? right. He gave us... Well, this is what happened to in, in the beginning. And here's a bunch of stories of, of how mankind screwed everything up. Mm-hmm. And as he's starting to develop his his rescue plan in a sense, right? He's working through Abraham, he's working through Moses, he doesn't go he doesn't just go, Well, here's my Ten Commandments. He goes, right. Well, the, here's here's you know, whole books of, of history, of stories, right, that actually happen of when that worked. And when that didn't, right? And so, when I, I I'm going through a book with my kid, uh, my kids. That's just it's Bible stories, right? And God using those stories, that those bedtime stories, to teach something greater, right? That that's uh, when when Jesus taught, he used parables, right? Because mm-hmm. people resonate with stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's not the only reason he used parables. He used parables to hide some of the stuff that he was teaching from from people who didn't want to listen. Um, but but stories is 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 are really the primary way that we as human beings learn about us or ourselves and the world around us. It's just how we do things. Um, so I think it's important for Christians to understand that our stories aren't just stories in and of themselves they should point us to we should see Christ in our stories right we should be able to look at a movie and go I enjoy I resonate with that character because he reminds me of Christ or that story is a tragedy because it highlights what sin does in people's lives that's what tragedies do for us right when when you're watching Breaking Bad or you're, you're, you're reading some of Shakespeare's tragedies, right? It's, well, that's the effects of sin. I can see that. It, it becomes real to me, and I don't have to experience it firsthand in order to understand it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, we're, God communicates to us through stories, and um, he communicates to, to us through Jesus, but that's given to us as a story, the story of his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but then we systematize things, you know, and um, so I'm I'm not like totally against like. No, sy- I'm not saying that at all. Right, I'm an engineer. I love to have. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I work on specifications. Right. When when you go and build a uh, uh, a big bridge, they don't give you the plans in a story. Right. They give you the plans with a, a concrete set of drawings and a concrete set of yeah. specifications. Right. So. There is a systematizing that that is good and needs to happen, right? We have to be able to clearly understand what we believe and and believe it in a very orderly and systematic way. But when I tell people the stories about when I was working on a project, I'm not going to sit here and go, well, you know, specification two, three, four said that, you know, I had to pour this particular PSI of concrete. Mm -hmm. People don't communicate that way so it's it's a both and right we explain our faith in a casual way to other people through stories but we understand our faith in a systematic way and those two things feed on each other right so yeah so i i also agree that um the systematizing of things can can be a useful tool because um though we can't grasp god we can believe true things about God that God's mm-hmm. revealed to us, and I guess systematizing things is kind of like like stating what well, we believe this is true. We believe that mm-hmm. is true, and giving the reasons for it and so forth. Um, but to me, sometimes um, it seems like it might make things a little too simplistic, because um, so I'm kind of skeptical of like systematic theology and even a little bit of like. Um, the five points of Calvinism and stuff like that, mm-hmm. because it just seems like it's not like I disagree with them. It just seems a little simplistic to um, to say this explains it all. Um, and and I, but, I think it is right. So um, I'm not again not saying that it's bad. <laughs> we only know as much as God has revealed to us. Yeah. Right. Um, and we do run into a risk, especially in reform circles, um, saying that we we can understand the whole of God and what he's doing and mm-hmm. what he's like. Um, I, I think that's why a lot of people think that, that people who are Calvinists are, are a little egotistical in sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's, the, what's the joke? Uh, if you can't afford seminary... Uh, classes get into an argument with a Calvinist and you'll get seminary classes for free. <laughs> um, I, I, we, th- there's, there's a line between understanding God and what he's revealed to us and then using what he's revealed to us to put him in a box. Right. Like we can, okay, now I understand the five points. I can put God in the, in the box and set him on the shelf and I can understand him that way. And then God uses giving us things and taking us taking things away to say, well, okay, I'm sovereign, but you don't understand what me being sovereign really means. Let me take something away so you can build that up a little more and you can understand that more hmm. in a practical way that's outside of our one-sentence understanding that God is sovereign. So systematically, I can say God controls everything. Mm-hmm. 
but I need to experience that in some way to really take it from a sentence to something practical with legs that I understand at a deeper level. <laughs> so systematic theology can give us the words, but in many cases it might not give us the complete understanding that just our sanctification in Christ and growing in Christ and what Christ does in our lives can give us. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for example, in the Bible, uh, God gives Moses 10 commandments, right? Mm-hmm. And then he spends, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy trying to explain the Ten Commandments, the systematic commandments that God has given, right? This is how it applies in this case. This is how it applies in that case. And, and So is that God, is that Moses expounding on it, or is that God giving uh, nuances to the commandments, details, and so forth? It, it, it's inspired by God, right? Okay. It's, it, it's God's word, okay. right? But he just gives the ten originally, so. right? He he gives okay. the ten originally, right? And so if you're if you're following Moses, and Moses comes down on the mountain and says, "Okay, here are these ten laws that you got to follow," right? Mm-hmm. And you're following him for a year, and you're like, "Man, I've got these ten laws down," mm-hmm. right? And Moses comes over and says, "No, you don't, because you're doing this, and you're doing this, and you're doing this," right? Your your the laws didn't change, the sentences didn't change. But your under, your experiential understanding of that law has changed, right? So Jesus says, uh, you say that, you know, you haven't murdered anybody, but if you have hate in your heart, you're guilty of breaking this commandment, right? Mm-hmm. You, you understand the letter of what I've said in the commandment, but you haven't put legs to it. You haven't really experientially understood it in a way that affects how you live in your daily life. Hmm. And I think we can take systematic theology and do that, right? We can, we can say, I understand that uh, God saves apart from ourselves, right? That he, that salvation is completely of his. But practically, I'm trying to work up my salvation and make myself more Christian by, I've got to read my Bible every day. And that's good, but I'm trying to will it into being as opposed to enjoying God for who he is and doing it out of a sense of enjoyment, you know, as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where I think it's the, the hardest, the hardest distance in the Christian life is the, you know, one and a half, two feet between your head and your heart, right? You can know a whole lot of things, but getting it into who you are and what you do is the, the biggest challenge and the biggest push of, of sanctification. I listen to Jordan Peterson sometimes. Uh, are you familiar with him? I am. I, okay. I haven't read any of his works or anything, okay. but I am familiar with who he is. And the, something he commonly says is, like, how do you really know what you believe? You say you believe this, but how do you really know? You know, if someone, you probably know better what you believe if you were to look at your life rather than if you just say, well, I believe this, I believe that, and so forth, you know. So that's kind of like, the difference between the head and the heart, mm-hmm. you know, what's really um, in the heart. You well, know? I mean, Job starts out with an argument between God and Satan, right? Mm-hmm. You know, God goes, have you have you seen Job? He he believes in me. He, he does what I tell him to do. And Satan goes, 
No, he doesn't. You take all that stuff away, and and he's gonna run from you. So God goes, all right, let's let's figure it out. Let's let's you know, I'll, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And how does he prove him wrong? He takes away everything, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't say, okay, you know, Job, recite to me what I've told you in my law, right? I mean, it's probably before the law, but he knew God, right? Recite to me what you know of me. Give me your head knowledge, and that'll prove to Satan that you really trust in me, that you really believe in me. Mm-hmm. No, he wants, he, he, he makes Job show it in what he does. Right. It doesn't mean that the head knowledge isn't there, but what really proves that Job follows God is how he acts when God takes the stuff away from him. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um... Well, um, is there anything in your life, like anything hard or like particular challenges that, um, you, um, you know, you wouldn't have chose yourself, but there they are. And perhaps you can see how God uses them for good, or perhaps you, you don't, um, but they're just there. Um, anything that's just kind of particular of you that you, you don't, you don't mind you know, sharing about. I, I think I think life is harder as an adult than than you realize when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think one of the things I've been struggling with lately is putting aside the plans I had for finding enjoyment in the life that I have now. Um, so, I, I mean, we've. We've got kids at all stages of life, and it's really easy to uh, look at them and say, "Man, I don't, I don't have any time. I, you, you, you make me really tired. You make me really frustrated sometimes." And you, you have to work towards finding the joy in what God has given you. I, I find joy in my kids. I'm, I'm not saying that, but mm-hmm. I'm, in the in the daily life, it's it's. It's really easy to look at yourself and, and, and in your own pride go, look how hard things are for me. Um, I mean, God's given us uh, a lot of uh, ability to help others. We've, we've taken in our, our niece, and uh, hmm. she's lived with us for about a year out of a, a really bad situation. And um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff you give up to do that, mm-hmm. and you can... Uh, if if you're if you're not careful, human nature wants to drive you to well look at all the stuff that I'm giving up. This is awful. Um, when it really isn't, right? As a Christian, we we find joy in that. Look, all the stuff I'm giving up, and I'm enjoying that. I want to help you out. I want to do what's best for you. I I find enjoyment in God using the gifts that He has given me through me to bless you. Um, <laughs> and. Though things are difficult in that, there's there's a lot of growth and a lot of enjoyment out of that. Um, we've uh, we've been we've been blessed to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So you had like a different 
idea in mind of like what your adulthood would be like. Oh, it I, sounds I, like? I, I thought it'd be in Denver, and okay. I thought I'd you know you you have the two point five kids and the white picket fence and okay, and uh, um, life life doesn't work out the way that you plan it out to be, but through God's grace, it always ends up the way that it's supposed to be. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, working through that, I think a lot of people. You know, when you're 30, you're 40, you have to reconcile with that, right? This is, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be a, a firefighter when I grow up, and now I'm an accountant, right? How do you, hmm. one one sound, one, they make uh, TV shows on one. There's no TV shows for the accountant, right? Mm-hmm. No one goes, oh, I'm going to turn on, you know, the adventures of Steve the accountant tonight, <laughs> right? Maybe that's an idea. <laughs> you know, I I mean, maybe maybe a comedy, maybe right. The Office, right? <laughs> right? But no one's, you know, when I ask my kids, what do they want to be when they grow up? None of them are like, I want to be a, I want to be an estimator, right? I want to work on spreadsheets my entire life. And mm-hmm. so I think there's this reckoning that you have to have as an adult that says, this is where I'm at as as an individual, am I comfortable with that? Is this, is this a good thing for me or do, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of, you don't have a whole lot more time to change your your trajectory. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think there's a reconciliation that has to happen in that. Um, And so that's, that's been interesting to go through. Um, I think we're in a good place. I, I enjoy my job. I enjoy my kids. I enjoy my wife. I enjoy our church. Um, but you do have to set aside some of those things that you thought about in the past that you were going to do. And you're like, okay, that's, that's not going to happen. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Right. This isn't going to happen. That's okay with that. This did happen. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It causes, so you're younger than me, but, um, just, just a little, <laughs> just a little. It, yeah. But th- those thoughts have, um, you know, been kind of turning around in my mind too, and just kind of thinking, my life's probably is not going to change a whole lot. I mean, it is going to. There's going to be changes, but you're like, going to get joy from it. But you're not gonna. Yeah. You're not gonna suddenly change careers and go back right. to college right. and, and find another thing to do. Like right, it's not like I have my whole life ahead of me anymore. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> where I don't know where it's going to go. I kind of have seen where it's gone, and and then to ask oneself, well, am I am I okay with that? And to kind of um, realize that. Um, there's really kind of two ways to look at life. There's the way of um, just um, what can I add to my life or enjoy in my life to help me get through it? Mm-hmm. Or is there um, something very compelling that makes it all worth living for? And um, and that's really the question. What what makes it worth, worth living yeah. for? What makes it worth doing for, right? Right. Um, I... I don't know how, and maybe this is just a conversation I have to have with someone else, I don't know how somebody unhinged from a Christian understanding, a Christian worldview, wrestles with those things, right? Mm-hmm. How, how do you find something to live for when everything that you used to live for is no longer available to you, hmm. right? Right. Um, you know, your health is no longer necessarily available to you when you get older. Your mm-hmm. opportunities that you had when you were high school and, and you had endless opportunities. You could do whatever you want, right? Follow your heart, Disney style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are, are open to you. Now those those options are restricted, right? 
-hmm. when you have a wife and a kid and a house, you're less likely to be able to move across the country and go and live in, you know, a, a, a city that you're not already in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the restriction of those availabilities, how do you process now where you put your hope? Because when you're a kid, you put a lot of your hope in, well, this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm going to go to college, and this is how I'm going to be when, I'm a gr- when I grow up. And now that those options have evaporated or have succeeded, what do you put your hope in now? Mm-hmm. For the yeah. Christian, it's it's Christ, right? We don't live for this life. We live for when Christ fixes all things and, and, and rules and reigns. But when you don't have that background, at, at what point do you finally hit a brick wall and say, well, I there's nothing else to live for. I guess I'll, I'll just exist until I give out. I, I don't know how that looks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess our the Christian faith is forward looking, but I, I like to think of it as, um, you know, um, God and Jesus being something to enjoy now and be satisfied in like right now, even in the midst of, um, Right. Our satisfaction Suffering. isn't somewhere off in the distance either, yeah, right? It's right. it's here and then it's ever growing, right? Right. right. It's not like oh, I, I can I have to be miserable now in Christ so that in, you yeah. know, fifty years when I finally pass away and they put me on the ground and I get to see Christ now I can finally be happy, right? That's right. That's not how right yeah. how Christianity works, right? Right. It's you have joy in Christ now. But you also look forward to greater joy in Christ as He continues to work through you and reveal Himself to you. Yeah. Um, well, how has God um, created you and shaped you um, in any particular ways to make you like a, a blessing to the church or a blessing to your community or others? Is it, what's your strengths, gifts, or you know what's unique about you um, that um, makes you an instrument in a particular way? do you think? That's kind of a question like, you know, come see how good I look, right? Look how humble I am, right? <laughs> this is These are the things I do awesome. Uh, no, I... Um, no, just, you know, because God makes us in, in, in particular ways, and it's like, hey, he uses me in this way, it seems, and um, that's pretty cool, just the way he did it. So, like, for you, how is that, do you think? I, I I tend to okay I'll, I'll put it this way I I like to give and I like to give of myself, um, and I find that that God uses me more in a micro sense than in a macro sense right so there there are some people that God is wired to um you know run whole churches or 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 do things large right um I mean most pastors they they deal with a lot of people and they 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 touch a lot of people and they affect a lot of people um but i think there are people in the church that god has equipped to really understand and work in very particular people right to to strengthen a small handful of people and <laughs> and, and and really focus on those people um <laughs> 
I find I find God works a whole lot in in the way that He's given me to to shepherd and lead our family, mm-hmm. and and to grow our family and our kids. Um, I don't think you have to be um, somebody that's even you know well known in your church to to really push you know uh, the gospel and God's kingdom out. Right? Sometimes it's just your family, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just the people that. God has given you as, as close friends, um, being mm-hmm. able to support and care and, 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 um, and, and I hate using the term cause we use it all the time. It, it like nails on the chalkboard, doing life together kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. being, being, uh, holding all things in common in Christ and you can't hold all things in common in Christ very well with a large group of people. It's a lot easier with a smaller group of people. Right. Um, so I mean, God. God uses. I think God has used me more in, um, in this season of my life in uh, growing my wife and, and and supporting her and what she does. She she does a lot of work with uh, uh, children. She's a child therapist and really supporting hmm. her, growing my kids and their faith, um, taking care of the needs and, and creating a stable environment for my niece mm-hmm. um and and try desperately trying to show her the love that christ has for her through us right hmm. um i think in, in times past when we were moving around the country uh doing projects um a lot of it was being an encouragement to the churches that we were we were part of right we're um i i remember uh the church that we were in in, in new york was a was a mostly korean church uh we were you know, the only Midwesterners in the entire church. I think we were one of two, you know, white families in a, in a church of, of uh, uh, Koreans. And the, the, the way that we helped and supported that church and is, like, we, we brought a perspective that, that they weren't getting normally. Mm-hmm. And they gave us a perspective that we, we weren't getting normally. Hmm. And so we strengthened each other through that. Um, what kind of perspective... Did um, you know a Korean community give to you that you know was particular because they were that community that they could give and show to anything in particular? I I think they there there was an interconnectivity there that was a little different. Um, okay. I also think that okay, so it was it was the Northeast, right? It's it's New York, right? We. Yeah. We we were living in Westchester County for about three years, and if uh, if anybody knows that part of the the area, it's about forty five minutes north of of New York City. Hmm. Um, and I mean, we live fifteen minutes from Hillary Clinton's place, and Trump's golf course was right next door. Oh wow! Um, and it was it was a it's a very liberal part of the country. Hmm. It's yeah. you know deep blue, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, the, the people who went to church there did not go to church because it was culturally beneficial to them, mm-hmm. right? So here in Missouri and in, in, in the South, it's very easy to go to church and be a nominal Christian because you get some cultural benefit out of it, right? I get yeah. some sort of connection out of it in my greater community. Um, these are people who are like me, who think the same politically as me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we went to church, and there were a lot of people in that church that didn't think the same politically as us. There was a lot of people in that church that 
didn't have the same um I, I don't want to sound arrogant but the, the same grasp of theology that some other people had you know uh, there were there was a disconnect between the elders who were very mature in their faith and some members of the church who just were not very mature in their faith mm-hmm. um and and one of the things that they were able to teach us was that even though they had these vast differences what they had together was christ hmm. and that's what held them together that's the reason why they were showing up they weren't doing it because they were getting some sort of extra out of it they weren't getting some sort of benefit out of it outside of christ a great many of them Hmm. Um, it, yeah. it was a Korean community, so there was some of that, right? Oh, this is the Korean community I'm part of. I'm, I'm getting that out of it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them were there just because they, they wanted to go to church, right? And, and, and they loved Christ, and they wanted to know more about Christ, and that was encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, how, how do you like... Um, a fellowship, like uh, what encourages you, or how do you like to connect with other Christians? Is it would it be more of like um, just a discussion over coffee? Do you like kind of the being in a big group and going through a liturgy? You know, the singing, listening to a sermon, out serving, playing church softball or whatever. <laughs> like, what's uh, what's your ideal way to um, build up others and to be built up? You know, to as Paul talks about, like growing up into Christ, um, what seems to resonate most with you as far as like uh, what that looks like? Well, I think the first step is that you have to know the person, and I don't mean like I know his name and I shook I, I shook his hand in church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as an introvert, one of the things that always scares me is when the pastor of a church goes, "Now look to the person to your left and your right and say hi and say good morning." I'm like, "No, don't touch me. I'm I'm tired. I'm cranky. I've had half of my coffee. I'm." I'm Mm-hmm. leave me alone um, you have to know what drives the individual right so some of our our best friends in, in Rockport and in the church in general we we know what they like to listen to what they what are their hobbies what are um, like what are their kids like what are they like what do they do for a living how what makes them frustrated once you know that then you can get to conversations that really that really sharpen each other right oh i know that you are frustrated at work right i get frustrated at work too and this is how god encourages me with that Hmm. oh you know you have you're you're having issues with your kids i know the issues that you're having with your kids because we talk on a daily on a on a basis Mm -hmm. and we know and we know each other. This is how I dealt with it. This might be helpful to you. Um, I think there is a place for, you know, getting together at somebody's house and opening God's word and, and, and talking to one another. Um, I've done a lot of that growing up in the church. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of benefit to that. But I also think you can hide in it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I, I would joke that... Uh, whenever you have those popcorn prayers at a, at a small group mm-hmm. and uh, you know you have uh, the guy across from the way going you know I, I gotta pray for something 
or you yourself, right? I got to pray for something because if I don't say anything, then people are going to be like, you know, what's wrong with them? And it's, it's either I, I'm going on a trip and I, I need some protection, which is fine, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I say, I, I don't want to take this the wrong way, right? Because sometimes you, you need, uh, those are legitimate concerns, but I think sometimes we hide it on them. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going on a trip, um, I got a family member that's sick, or I'm struggling with what I think is a lesser sin. Like I'm, I lie a lot. Or, you know, I'm, I'm really angry sometimes. And sometimes that, that is something you need to pray about. But a lot of times we kind of hide behind it as well, in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, and if you know the person, and if you, you are more connected with the individual, it's, hi- it's harder to hide behind those things, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really having a problem with not looking at stuff that I'm supposed to be on the internet. No one's going to go into one of those popcorn prayers and be like yeah you know i i totally struggled with with right. porn this week i really need some help right yeah and like is is that even um you know appropriate like maybe um it, it might not be and right. that's where that smaller connection right. needs to happen yeah. right you you need to have individuals in the church that you know them they know you there's a there's a trust and an understanding there that's grounded in Christ and because that trust and understanding is there mm-hmm. now we can deal through some really hard issues that we need to as a as a church um, that's why I think your connection with the church body has to be more than just I'm doing all this stuff in the context of activities in the church right mm-hmm. uh, that being said you know I you have to get together with people who are believers outside of official church business, right? Outside of the official church Bible study and outside the official church meeting on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, call up your friend and be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, there's a, there's a local brew pub down the street. Let's go get a, a drink and let's talk about what's going on in both mm-hmm. of our lives. You know, um, I've, I've got a good friend of mine who, uh, you know, we play D and D together, and we mm-hmm. we have a group of friends from all across the country that we play D and D together, mm-hmm. and that's how we get to know each other. And we have a common understanding in that that we can use then to go. You know, one of our players, you know, they their their AC broke down, and now they're having a problem with finding money. Okay, I understand that. Let me speak into that because I know you, and I know what I, we speak a common language. Mm-hmm. And being able to understand one another, yeah, that's good. Um, as far yeah, to to know each other, you know, it's like foundational to you know uh, building one another up, and um, and maybe that's like um, perhaps the way of bringing others into the faith too, to really just get to know them as people, and. Uh, maybe that's how you know adult converts come into the faith I mean, for the it, most it part. It happens, right? You hear stories of, yeah, I heard you know this guy speak, you know, mm-hmm. preaching the gospel on the corner of a street, and all of a sudden I was hit with a white light, and yeah, you know, I was blinded. Right. I was blinded for a little bit, and then some other guy came and took the scales off my eyes. Right? You 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 hear stories like that, mm-hmm. um, but in 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 my experience, most of what has drawn people to 
the faith when I've talked to them is, yeah, you know, I know this guy and I, I knew his character and I knew how he was and we shared a common interest and mm-hmm. he was genuinely concerned and genuinely wanted to know more about me and be involved in my life. Yeah. And out of that friendship came his understanding of the gospel towards me. Yeah. Yeah. To, and to do that actively, uh, you have to have a different mindset about life than just pursuing the American dream. Because if you're pursuing um, just the, you know, being, living the best lifestyle you can live, that's going to consume all your life and all of your time and all of your resources. You look at other people as catalysts for what you want as opposed to the other way around. You, right. you look at yourself as catalysts towards their growth and their their benefit. Right. Or you just don't got time for them, you know. Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah. Well, it's been really good, Jonathan, to talk with you. Um, encouraging and you have some good insight and you communicate it well. Anything else to, to mention before we wrap up? Oh, no, I, I don't have anything else. Um, you know, I, I don't have a book, so I can't be like, buy my book um, or anything like that. Okay. So no blog or nothing no, like that? No blog, no nothing like that. Um, I mean, if you if you really want, you know, amazing insight, you can you can follow me on, on Twitter and I say I'm 100% accurate except in statistics. So <laughs> if you if you want the, the best opinions, um, okay. that would be the the best place to go, I guess. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Mm-hmm.